We continue the story of Yosef. So Yosef yesterday reveals himself to the brothers. He says, Ani Yosef, Od Avichai, is my father still alive? We discussed that yesterday. And then he tells them afterwards, don't be sad. Don't feel bad in your eyes that you sent me over here because you didn't send, you didn't sell me as a slave. Rather, I was sent here by God, Lemichia, to give sustenance, to provide food for the entire world, for you, for your family, for everyone in Egypt. Last night's class, we discussed a great length the difference between being sold or being sent, and that's, if you listen to last night's class. Anyway, the point is, that's the beginning of the third aliyah. He says to his brothers again, don't feel bad. You didn't send me here. It was God that sent me here to be a father over Pharaoh, to be a master over his house, and to be a ruler over the entire land of Egypt. This tremendous blessing that came out of this very difficult, painful journey. It was painful. It was difficult, but it led to great results. And so I feel no bad feelings towards you because I don't. I know that you don't have control over my life. You think you do. You wanted to. You wish you have control, but I don't hold it against you because really you don't have any control. Everything that happened to me was all part of the plan of Hashem. And then he tells the brothers, they start coming closer to him, and he says, you will dwell, go quickly to my father, bring my father here, and you will dwell in the land of Goshen. Goshen was a very good land for pasture. You and your sons and your children and your grandchildren and your flocks and your cattle and all that you own, and there, since there's still five more years of famine left, I will provide for everything that is needed for you and your family, and you'll live there, you know, all expenses paid, I'll take care of you. And he says, and they're still like a little uncomfortable, says, you see, the same way I love Binyamin, I have no hard feelings towards Binyamin. Binyamin was not there when I was sold as a slave. Binyamin was home with my father. He was a little boy at the time. So just like I have no hard feelings toward Binyamin, so too I have no hard feelings towards you, and we are good. And at that point, they finally begin to feel comfortable about what is going on. And uh, he says, quickly go down to my father, tell him that I am here, and to bring my father back to Egypt. Really, really, Yosef should have gone to eat to, to, to Israel, but he couldn't go. At this point, he was in charge. He was in charge of the entire land of, of Egypt and feeding all the people. He was too much responsibility. So that I can't leave, but better bring my father here, and here I will be able to provide for him and take care of him. In Egypt, in Israel, will be very hard for him to take care of the family. And now that the brothers finally see that uh, things are better, they finally open up. At that point, Yosef falls on the neck of his brother Binyamin and he cries. And Binyamin cries on the neck of Yosef. Why are they crying on each other's necks? So Rashi tells us that at that moment, Yosef saw prophetically that the future base of Mikdash would be built in the territory of Binyamin. It's actually right on the border of Yehuda Binyamin, but the temple will be in the territory of Binyamin. And there will be a destruction of the first base of Mikdash, a destruction of the second base of Mikdash. And therefore, he cries over the future destruction that will take place of the Beit HaMikdash. And Binyamin is crying over the, the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, that will be built in the city of Shiloh. Shiloh would be in the, you can go today and visit it, the area where it was, exactly where it was. And it would be destroyed by the Plishtim, and the Ark would be taken into captivity. So Yosef is crying for the destruction of Binyamin's territory, and Binyamin is crying for the destruction that will take place in Yosef's territory, and uh, this is one of the classic, classic questions and explanations of the Rebbe. Why is Yosef crying for Binyamin's loss? Why is Yosef not crying over his own destruction? And why is Binyamin crying for the destruction that will take place of the temple and tabernacle in Shiloh? Why is Binyamin not crying for the destruction of the temple that will take place in his territory? 
Right? Why are they only crying for the other person's loss? Why are they not crying for their own loss? And this Rebbe gives, yeah, but on this Rebbe gives a beautiful, this is typical, you want to understand the Rebbe's philosophy on life, this is a classic answer of the Rebbe. On your own destruction, you don't cry. On your own destruction, you do. <laughs> Crying is when you can't do anything about it. Crying is when I, there's nothing I can do, so I feel bad, I cry. For destruction taking place in your own territory, tears is not the right answer. Some people, they feel good about this. Oh, I cried, I cried. Crying is not the answer. You mean destruction of your territory? Do something about it. It's someone else's territory where you can't do anything about it. It's in his territory. For him, you can cry. Understand? Anyway. We'll go further. Anyway, he kisses each and every one of his brothers. He cries on the shoulders of all of them, and they cry with him. And only after they all have now, you know, all the tears have been shed, then they finally feel comfortable, and they begin to speak together with their brother in Hebrew. In the meantime, the word gets around the entire house of Pharaoh that the brothers of Yosef have come, and it is very pleasing in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants, seeing the royalty from which Yosef had come, and Pharaoh now says to Joseph, tell your brothers to do as follows. Load up 10 animals with grain, go straight to Canaan to go feed your family, and then take your family, bring them here to Egypt. So Joseph had already told his brothers, come to Goshen, I'll take care of you. But now Pharaoh says the same thing. Come to the land of Egypt. He didn't say where. He said, go to the choicest part of the land, and I will give them everything they want, and they will eat from the fat of the land. Little does Pharaoh know what he's saying. That sure enough, the Jews will eat from all of the land. And when the Jews leave Egypt after 210 years, they will take all of the wealth of Egypt. They will take it with him. Moreover, Pharaoh says, tell them to take wagons from Egypt. And these wagons will be used to bring all of your family to transport them back here to the land of Egypt. Don't worry too much about your stuff and your clothing and your beds and your, you know, all your possessions. Because whatever you need here in Egypt will be given to you. Then Yosef says to his brothers, I also want to give gifts to you and to my father. So first Yosef gives to each one of his brothers. He gives a change of clothing. And he gives three, and he gives, uh, and he gives a set of clothing. And to Minyamin, he gives five sets of clothing and 300 pieces of silver. And then he sends his father a gift. What's the gift he sends? First of all, he sends 10 male donkeys. Aside to the 10 female donkeys that Pharaoh sent with grain, he sends 10 male donkeys with the best delicacies of Egypt. Aside for grain that you need to live, he sends from the best grain, the best delicacies of Egypt, from the Tuv Mitzrayim, from the good of Egypt, he sends to his father. What is the good of Egypt? So Rashi tells us what's considered the good of Egypt. The Gemara tells us, and Rashi quotes it, he sent them aged wine. Because aged wine makes the, you know, calms your spirit, calms your spirit. And the Medrash that Rashi quotes that he sent him beans, split beans. Now, how does wine and split beans represent the best of Egypt, the Tuv Mitzrayim, the best of Egypt? Split beans. You know what I'm saying? I'll send you some uh, aged wine. I can understand it's like, you know, it's expensive, it's a delicacy. How is split beans? Rashi feels the need to tell us. Oh, you want to know what was it? What did Yosef send his father? Split beans. How does that help? So this Rebbe also explains that first of all, there's a very, very beautiful, famous explanation that the aged wine that Yosef sent his father was a wine. How did he have aged wine? Egyptian wine is not kosher. Why is it not kosher wine to his father? Yayin Nesach, wine that was touched by a non-Jew, is not kosher. 
So Egyptian wine was used for idol worship and all that. And he can't send it to his father. So what wine is he sending his father? Timedrish tells us that when Yosef came to Egypt, he knew he had absolute confidence in Hashem that he would one day finally be reunited with his father. And therefore, at that time, he put aside a bottle of wine. He had wine with him. He took, got wine. He made the wine. And that wine, for 22 years, he had been holding on to that wine, waiting for the day that he'd be reunited with his father to drink that wine. And this is the aged wine he sent his father, showing him that he had been confident in the fact that one day Hashem would do a miracle and be reunited, even though he had to wait 22 years for that miracle to happen. The aged beans, the split beans, also, how do beans split? You can only eat split beans when you separate them from their shell. The husk, that's, I guess, I'm not an expert in beans, but a bean has to be taken out of its shell, out of its, its stalk where it comes from, and then it can become edible and become aged and soft and edible. And so to Yosef is to his father that I only became who I became because of the separation when I was separated from my place of growth, from my child, you know, from my family, that I was able to become the leader of Egypt the way that I now am. Anyway, he sends this to his father. Ten male donkeys laid laden with all of the delicacies of Egypt. In addition, he sends another ten female donkeys laden with grain. Just like Pharaoh sent ten donkeys of grain, he also sent ten donkeys of grain. And he sends wagons and everything to bring the, uh, the family of Yaakov, all the grandchildren, all the stuff, all the cattle, to bring it back to Egypt. Pharaoh said to do, but Yosef sent it. And he sent the brothers on the way, and he says to them, please do not quarrel on the way. Don't get into a fight. Whose fault? For it simply means don't get into a halachic dispute, but don't get into a fight with each other. Whose fault it is, who said what, who did this, who did that. It's all over. I have no hard feelings between you. Do not quarrel among yourselves on the way over whose fault it is. So they go back up to Israel, and now they need to tell the news to Yaakov Avinu, to Jacob, who's already an old man, and he's not well, he's been mourning for 22 years, they need to break the news to him that Yosef is alive. Not only is he alive, he's in Egypt, and he's well, he's the king, he's a viceroy. They don't give him a heart attack. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you tell someone good news too fast, they can literally have a heart attack. So they're thinking, how should we break the news to Yaakov? So what do they do? They sent the grand, one of the granddaughters, name was Sarah. Sarah was the daughter of Asher. She gets a very, very special mention for the great mitzvah she does, and she becomes listed as one of the great people for the way she was able to break the news to her grandfather. Sarah played the harp. She played the harp. So she went ahead before the brothers came, and she sat outside by Yaakov's, uh, in his tent. She's playing for her grandfather music. And as she's playing on the harp, she's making up a song, the caveat, like, so to say, making up like a song. Yosef is, I don't know the tune, I won't make up the tune, but like, Yosef is alive, he's the viceroy in Egypt, whatever, the, you know, whatever. You can use your imagination what the tune was. But maybe sound will sing it this afterwards. She starts singing a song, right? Yosef is alive, and he's in Egypt, and he's the ruler, and he's taking care of everyone. And so Yaakov is listening to the song. She's just making up a song. She's not actually telling him that Yosef, is, but his heart is starting to get like, maybe it's true. Why is she singing this? Maybe Yosef is alive in Egypt. And then after she sings a song to him that Yosef is alive in Egypt, then the brothers come to Yaakov and they say, Yosef is alive in Egypt. And he was already like, because he had heard the song first, he was able to handle the news. And even then, they said that when they first told him, his heart stopped. His heart stopped for a moment. He couldn't believe it. And he says, he had a hard time 
believing them. He didn't believe that it could be true. But then they told him everything that Joseph had told them. And he explained about how he's speaking Hebrew and how he was circumcised and all that. And then how he spoke Hebrew. And then it says in the verse, and he saw the agoles, he saw the wagons that Yosef had sent. And when he saw the wagons, says the Torah, Vatachi Ruach Yaakov Avihem, the spirit of Yaakov was revived. What's so unique about the wagons he sent? They says he saw the wagons, and then he was revived. In Hebrew, the word agoles, wagons, is agoles. The same word, egla arufa. Egla arufa is a very unique and interesting subject in Jewish law, where if a person was found uh, dead on the side of the road, abandoned, abandoned, so the, well, they have, meaning the person was homeless or without food, and they were not, the community didn't take care of that person. So the two, the, the Sanhedrin comes from Yerushalayim, and they measure the distance to the closest city, and then when they figure out the closest city, they take a, the leaders, the elders of that city come, and they take a young ox that has never been worked, and they kill it over the neck, and they, they spill the blood of this ox over the water, over the river, and they wash their hands, and they say that our hands now spill this blood. They, they basically make a communal atonement for the fact that this person died without food outside their city. The last laws, the last piece of Gemara, the last, it wasn't Gemara, but the last section of Jewish law that Yosef had been studying with his father the day that he had left to go to check on his brothers had been told, etc., was the laws of the Egla Arufa. These laws of the Agala. So when Yaakov sent, he sent Yosef in the message with his father, look at the wagons, tell my father that the last, I still remember the last piece of Torah we studied together. 22 years later, I haven't forgotten the Torah we learned together. And when Yaakov saw that he still remembered the Torah he had learned 22 years before, then his spirit was revived. Because my son could be alive, but he could have been, you know, drowned in the, in the impurity and in the evil of Egypt. But he saw that his son was learning Torah, then his spirit was revived, and Yaakov got a whole new feeling of life within him. Tomorrow we'll discuss how Yaakov makes a journey down to down to uh, Egypt. God willing. Okay. I'll say one thing. So why the, there's a beautiful explanation for the Rebbe, but why the wagons? Because the, 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 what happened to Eglar Rufa? The elders of the community feel guilty that we were the ones that abandoned this child. Why did this person die? Because we abandoned him. So Yaakov might feel guilty that why did Joseph get killed in the or sold to the slave? Because I abandoned him. So send my Eglar Rufa, where they basically say our hands didn't swallow this blood. It wasn't your we're not you're not responsible for what happens with all part of the plan of Hashem. Okay, anyway.